Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Welcome, Victory Life Church. How are we feeling? Come on. Welcome. Uh, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, let's welcome our church family watching in online. Um, and we're so glad you're here. We're glad you're a part of this special day. And uh, we are in the middle of a series titled, We the Church. You know, it's interesting because we've seen it. There's a decline in the American church. There's a decline in people coming to know Jesus. There's a, it's like we're losing ground in our own backyard. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's taking us as a church to, to say, hey, listen, you know, we can point the finger at a lot of other things, at a lot of other people. But I wonder if we looked in the mirror and said, how are we doing? How, how am I doing as, a, as the body of Christ? In fact, turn to the person next to you and tell them, how, how are you doing? Because um, I wonder if we have forgotten what it meant to be the church. I wonder if it, we've forgotten what it means to biblically be a member of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says, you are part of the body of Christ. And each of you, the scripture says, is a member of it. And I, I wonder if many of us have been failing at being members of the body of Christ and God is not moving. Now, what do you mean by that? When I think about what's going on in, in Kentucky, you've read the news, you, you're watching it, right? In Asbury University, you, maybe skeptics, maybe you're a skeptic, but God is doing something. And I wonder if he's using the universities to do what he could not do through his church. I wanna be part of that. I wanna be, does anybody else wanna be part of that? Come on. I don't want to fabricate it. I don't want to make anything up, but I want to be a part of, if God is moving there, I wonder, I wonder if he can move here. And so maybe we need to take a look at who we are as a church, Victory Life Church, and say, God, is there anything that you need us to do differently? And so we've been taking an in-depth look at laying down our preferences, at um, being a functioning church member. But can I tell you this? It doesn't matter what preferences we lay down. It doesn't matter how much we do. If we are not unified, then we're not going to accomplish anything. We might, might as well be living in the divided states of America. And I think that's also pertains to the churches as well with the people in it. We're divided. We're upset. We're walking in and we're angry at so-and-so. And we just can't seem, how do you expect to be a part of revival if we can't be unified about the God that we serve? You know, John chapter 13, verse 35, we preached the whole sermon series on this passage. They, Jesus said, they will know me by this how you love one another. I want to talk to the church today about what it means to be unified. I'll never forget watching one of my favorite movies. It's a superhero movie. It's called The Avengers, and it's, the, it's in game, and it's the very end scene. It's the good guys versus the bad guys, and the good guys seem like there's only few until a bunch of them start showing up. And the, the captain, Captain America, Steve Rogers, is there, and he starts to see all these other superheroes. You know, if you don't care about superheroes, just, just listen to the principle behind it, okay? And they're all showing up, and they're showing up on his right and his left, and they're all here. And he says two words. He says, Avengers, assemble. It didn't matter the uniqueness about these people, the differences, where they came from, even what they believed. But they had one purpose, and they had one goal. 
So my title for those note takers here at VLC, the title this morning's message is Christians Assemble. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, thank you. We love you. We're so blessed to be in this place. We're so blessed to know who you are, to read your word. Let it shape us, let it change us. And I pray as always, as we walk out of these doors, not just celebrating those who are getting baptized, but go back to our homes and our jobs that, that we begin to live just how you've called us to live. We love you. We're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said one more time. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 17. By the way, um, some of you know I was not here last week. I got the privilege of being over in the great state of Texas. And I made the mistake of telling all the people in Texas that you guys live in the second greatest state in America, Florida being the first. And they about like wrote me out of there and threw me out. But, uh, um, you know, I've been a part of many camps and conferences and I've been, you know, I've been a student, I've been a leader, I've been a youth pastor at those things, but it's one thing being the speaker. It's like, it's completely different. And I got to connect with plenty of people in a different way that I would not have been able to connect with. And there was a particular seventh grade boy by the name of Vinny. And uh, God put him on my heart that first session um, to, to be, to stand right next to him. And Innie and, and was a head taller than all the other seventh grade boys. And I came up to Innie and I said, I said, Innie, and I, well, I didn't know his name. So I said, hey, man, I'm, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Jacob. He said, hey, you know, a little awkward seventh grade boy. Hi. You know, he's like, what are you doing here? I'm not doing anything bad. And I said, any, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I hope God does something in your life. And I was like, any, do you know all these kids? And he said, no, I, I don't know. I don't know them. And I said, well, they're all looking at you. They're all watching you right now. Because like I said, he's he head taller than me. So he's two head taller than them. And um, he said, I, I, I don't. I don't really fit in here. I don't really know who I am here. And I said, well, I'm praying that God does something in your life, Vinny. And so fast forward to Saturday night. We had our, our Saturday night session and I'm about to leave. And man, God was just doing so much in, in that room. And I'll tell you what he was doing. He, he wasn't necessarily bringing people to salvation because a lot of them were saved, but he was bringing people to repentance. And, um, but any comes up to me and he finds me. He's like, he's like, hey, Jacob, you know? I'm like, hey, man. He's like, I, I gotta tell you something. And he comes up to me and he gives me like this, this awkward hug, you know, like, hi. He's like, I gave my life to the Lord tonight. And I was like, man, Indy, come on, that's amazing. And we celebrated together. But it was what he said next. It was what he said next. He said, but I wanna tell you something. He said, before this weekend, I did not belong. And he said, now I belong. Isn't that what being a part of the body of Christ is? You didn't belong before, and now you, God has redeemed you. He saved you, so now you have, you have uh, you know, that assurance that you will be in heaven for the rest of your life. But belonging is something that we have to kind of tell ourselves, that I belong here because God has called me here. And so God was doing some, some great things, and I was very grateful to be a part of that. But John chapter 17, um, you know, Jesus is here moments before his, he would be arrested and it's right after the Passover feast where he washed the disciples' feet. He predicts his betrayal. He talks about the Holy Spirit that he's going to promise. And we get this famous message on the vine and the branches here. And it's interesting because this is an incredible teaching by Jesus. But then he moves on to a prayer, which might just be the greatest prayer that he's ever prayed and the greatest prayer ever recorded in Scripture right here. And there's a progression to this prayer in John 17 because he first prays for himself. And then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for the believers. And it goes on in verse 20, if you're reading with me, verse 20. It says, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. He's talking about the disciples, that my prayer is not just for them alone, but it's for everybody who believes. 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There is nothing more powerful than when a body is unified. When a body understands this, there's nothing more powerful than what, than what Christ is saying here. Not only that, but David goes on to say in Psalm 133, verse 1, he says how good and pleasant it is when God's people are living together in unity. So not only is it powerful, but David says it's great and it's pleasant when people live together. Now, if you were here last week, Daddy, you did, a great, you did a great job. You had a visual for us. You had Mr. Potato Head. And, you know, it was talking about how we are not just to be functioning together, but we've got to be functioning. The giftings that God has called you, you're to bring here to the church. You know, if you're an eye, great. But you can't get what you need to get if you don't have any feet to get you there. And if you're the feet, that's great. But you can't pick up what you need to pick up if you don't have any hands to help you pick that up. So we've all got to be functioning together. However, and I might be talking to the seasoned believer this morning, you can be functioning at high capacity, but you could be functioning for the wrong thing. You could be climbing a ladder and find out when you get to the top that you were on the wrong building. You could be driving somewhere, going somewhere, making great timing, but you're headed east and you were supposed to head north. And so I wonder if God is saying to us, Today, listen, you, you may be functioning very well, and that's great, and some of you have, are not functioning at all, and you need to function, but you need to function together. You have forgotten who you are one working for, and you have forgot who you're working with. And if you get to that point, not only do you no longer find purpose in what you do, but you actually become destructive to the body around you. You could be functioning at a high capacity, Meanwhile, you are, you are bringing damage to the unity of the body of Christ. Oh, how powerful and how good and how pleasant it is when God's people know how to live together. By the way, we are always at work. The question is, are you working to maintain the unity or are you working to create division? So let me give you three things. I want to answer three questions today. The first one is this. What is unity? What are we talking about? What am I... What am I getting unified behind, and, and what really is this, is this unity? And let me quote Tony Evans. He said, I want you to write this down. Unity is oneness in purpose, not sameness in persons. Come on, that is good. Unity is oneness in purpose, not sameness in persons. Jesus said it in John 17. He said, Father, I want them to be like you and I. We serve one God, but there is three equally divine and unique persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. God is all of them, and they are each God, but they are not each other. They're three different personalities. They have distinct personalities, yet they share in the same divine nature. Each looks a little bit different, yet each one has purpose. And so the goal isn't for all of us to be the same. That's not why we're doing this. We want you to look the same, talk the same, you know, think the same. I thank God that we don't all look the same. In fact, I wish we looked a little bit different sometimes. But the goal here is for all of us to be on the same page, headed towards the same goal, all sharing the same purpose. He said in verse 21, I want all of them to be one. Just like you and I, Father, 
are one. You are in me and I am in you. Different personalities, different characteristics, but all sharing the same goal. I wonder what it would look like if a church came together and said, you know what, we're our, not, we don't look the same, but we're going to have the same purpose. You know what God could do through a church like that? Do you, know what, do you know what people could do if they share the same goal and the same purpose? What kind of good and what kind of evil they can do? I mean, we've seen teams who don't have any all-stars, but they're great because they work together. We've also seen groups of people, politicians get together with the same purpose, the same goal, and bring chaos and destruction to a nation. Go to Genesis chapter 11, because let me give you another example of how people who put their minds together and their heads together, they could accomplish anything. Genesis chapter 11, go with me there. Genesis chapter 11, this is, this is a post-flood, so we are working with the descendants of Noah's three sons, and there is a tower that is going to be built. Look at verse 1 with me, and, and I want you to understand and, and get this, that we find here perhaps the most prideful and arrogant revolt against God here in Genesis chapter 11. It says, now the whole world had one language and they had a common speech. And, and then it says, and the men moved eastward and they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now I want you to I want to pause there because what's interesting about that passage right there is, is these were the same materials used by Noah when he built the ark. And what was he preventing the ark from being destroyed by? The flood. But what did God promise his people after that flood? That he would never flood the earth again. And here you have people who are lacking the faith that God is not going to do what he promised he wasn't going to do. And here they are saying, we got to build this tower out of these things in case another flood shows up. So they're already, they're already walking in disobedience. And then it goes on to say in verse four, they say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city. I wonder if God was up there looking at his watch, scrolling through the Twitter feed and noticed that there was a tower being built. And God's like, let me just go down there and see what's going on. Let me see how tall this, this tower is. Let me see how well these people are working together. And so God, it says the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, notice what it says, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Verse eight says, the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now it's interesting that the scripture says, let us go down there, let us go down there. Again, here we are seeing perhaps maybe one of the few times or many times in the Old Testament that God, the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit was at work. You mean Jesus and the Spirit didn't come in the New Testament? No, it was always here. In fact, go to Genesis chapter one. They said, let us make man in our image. So what we're seeing here is a triune God, each our God, but each has distinct, unique personalities. 
But yet what God does is he steps in. The reason why I share this story is because he, sh- he steps in and he does not change their purpose, but he confuses the method in which they communicate. He confuses the language. Now, why, why is that important? Because God isn't here to change our purpose. In fact, God isn't changing the evil intent and the motivation in their purpose. They're gonna do what they're gonna do. Evil is gonna do what it's gonna do. The, the devil is gonna do what it's gonna do. But God, he stirs up some confusion in the language there enabling them to fulfill what they were going to do because God said, he said, if, if they can speak the same language, if they can be unified with one purpose, then nothing will be impossible for them. That's what the scripture says. And so God's like, I gotta, I gotta stop in there. I gotta break up the community so I can break up the unity. Now, now we're talking about building unity, Jacob. So why are we talking about breaking unity down? Because I'm just here to show you that if we can put our heads together for evil, then I wonder what it would look like if we could put our heads together for good. I wonder what it would look like if we came together and said, you know what, God, we're, we are going to serve you. We are going to work together for you. You've heard the phrase, man proposes, but God disposes. It was the uh, Augustinian monk Thomas A. Kempis who wrote, man does what he can, but God does what he wills. King Solomon in Proverbs 19, verse 21 the wisest man in the world other than Christ, said this, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God is in control. And he's looking for people to be unified, not just unified together, but unified in one purpose. It, it's great. It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter what we talk like. It doesn't matter how, how, we, how we think. God is, isn't looking for people to be the same in persons. God is looking for people to be the same in purpose. It doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're American, doesn't matter if you're Asian, doesn't matter if you're Brazilian or Mexican. God is looking for people who are going to step in to be unified in one purpose. Not same in persons. I don't, you don't need to think like me and I don't need to think like you. I don't need to change your culture to fit mine and you don't need to change my culture to fit you. But together, all unique personalities, differences together, imagine what God can do because you're gonna reach people that I can't reach and I may reach people that you can't reach. And so we need, tell the person next to you, we need each other. You, you definitely need me and I, and I definitely need you. Imagine what God can do. He's looking for people who are bought in, who are willing to live in such a way that the world would fall to their knees, repent of their sins, and step into faith with Jesus Christ. That's what he's looking for. That's the purpose. Why am I to be unified so people would fall to their, to, to, to their repentance? Why am I to be unified so we can perform signs and wonders and miracles? No. So that people would fall to their knees, repent of their sins. You know, if you look into this, this Asbury you know, University revival thing, I was listening to a podcast with a guy who was there present the entire time. And, I, and I, can I quote you what he said? By the way, um, there's a movie that just came out this weekend called uh, The Jesus Revolution. And do you know what The Jesus Revolution is about? It's about the last greatest revival in America in the 1970s. Is it a coincidence that it comes out at the exact same time that God is stirring some more revival in this nation? Coincidence, I think not. God is up to something. Question is, are you gonna be a part of it? Is Victory Life Church gonna be a part of it? Or do we think that we got to get to the campus to be a part of that? Man, the same spirit who is dwelling at Asbury University is the same spirit that's dwelling down here in Plantation, Florida. 
So God, can, if he can do it there, he can do it here. And he's doing it all across these universities. But I'm, I'm listening to this man who's telling the story about how it happened. And he's like, it wasn't any great speaker. It wasn't any great worship. It wasn't anything that anybody said. But it was a group of individuals who stayed at the altar. And here's what he said. They learned to submit to holiness. That's what he said. He, and he, I, was, I was listening. They were just submitting to holiness. They were repenting of sins. They were confessing things. And then, then God begins to move. That's why we do what we do, church. That's why Victory Life Church is here. To be a body. To live in such a way that people start to ask us, what is different about them? And the Spirit of God begins to draw them in. And what does that lead to? Falling to their knees. Saying, forgive me, Father. Forgive me my sins. That's why we do what we do. That is why we are to be unified. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, I need you to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. By how you love, Jesus said. And I just wonder if many people have come in these doors or come in any doors of a church and they have left because they have not felt loved. Now, this message no doubt is for us here today, but some of you need to take this to your school. Some of you need to take this to your home. Some of you need to live this out. Uh, um, on the stands at your son or daughter's ball game because uh, there, there ain't any unity there. So what is it? Not sameness in persons, but sameness in purpose. Number two, what, what disrupts this? What disrupts unity? And I want to mention two things because certainly there, there's a lot of things that, um, that we can talk about, but there's two that we probably forget about because it's, it's not necessarily tangible. It's not, it's not always even visible. And you have to go to Romans chapter 1, so I can give you the first one. Romans chapter 1, Paul is addressing the believers in Rome, and he's essentially saying through the book of Romans, here is how to be right with God. In fact, a couple years ago, we walked through the entire book of Romans, and he starts off in Romans 1 by reminding us that we're all guilty. Right? We, all, we all make mistakes, we all have sin in our life, and we all need Christ. In fact, you go back to January 21st, 2021, Dad, you preached the message and uh, you had a couple points in there about the wrath of God. And if that don't scare you, I don't know what will. And um, so if you look at verse 29, here's, here's, here's what Paul says. He's talking about those who are just so far gone. It's like, there's, it's like there's no hope for them anymore. He says they become filled in verse 29. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy and murder, and strife, and deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Some of you are like, I'm nine out of 12 of those right now. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. I like this. He's like, you guys are murderers. You're evildoers. You're God-haters. You disobey your parents. He like throws that in there. You're like, whoa, I, now I feel guilty, all right? I'm not a murderer, but I have disobeyed my parents. I'm like, shoosh. That, that's, that's crazy that he throws that statement in there. But I want you to notice there's, a, there's one word that's so destructive to the unity of the church, to the unity of the body of believers. There's one word, and it's right in the middle, and that word is gossip. Gossip ain't all that bad. Come on, Jacob. Then why is it squished in between words like murder and God-haters? I mean, it's one of the sins that signifies mankind's deepest depravity. And do we realize how damaging gossip could be? Do, do you realize it? Well, I'm, I'm not. I don't gossip. 
but you might be the recipient of gossip and now you become the source of gossip. And do you know just by what you know, the damage you could cause? If you struggle with gossip, then just like somebody who struggles with lust, who struggles with anger, who struggles with gambling, you need some help too. In fact, four, pa four pastors got together and they were like, you know what, man, we, we always hear people confess their sins to us and they find healing, as James says. So let's confess our sins to each other. And these four pastors got together and one said, you know what, in my bylaws it says I cannot drink, but oh, you bet I drink. The other pastor says, you know what, I, I have a hard time taming my tongue. And I tell, I tell my church, you know, to watch what they say, but out on the golf course, man, I just can't help it. I just cuss left and right, but nobody knows. And the third pastor, he says, man, I just really struggle with gambling and uh, nobody knows it. Um, but I tripled the tithe last week at the casino. So uh, we're, we're in good shape. And they're waiting on the fourth pastor to say something. And they're like, all right, it's your turn. And he's shaking. He said, I, I, I can't, I can't. He says, come on, you got to tell us. We all told you our sin. He said, I can't. Come on, tell us. He said, I struggle with gossip. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time not saying anything about this. <laughs> do, you, do you realize the damage that you can do to somebody by what you know and what you hear and what you say? Gossip spreads damage. It, it destroys reputations. It breaks up churches. Listen to what Proverbs 16, 28 says. A person, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. It was Morris Mandel who said in the piece titled Bits and Pieces, gossip is the most deadly microbe. It hasn't neither legs nor wings. It is composed entirely of tails, and most of them have stings. We have to be careful not to be a source of gossip, even if that means we're not the ones spreading the gossip. You may just be that person that you're like a sponge. Everybody wants to come to you and tell them, you know, everybody else's issues and problems. Anybody married to somebody like that? They just love, you know, raise your hand or point your finger. They just, I want to talk about what's going on. And so we have to prevent gossip from taking place, one, by not being a gossip. But secondly, we have to learn how to recognize it. Because we could be in the church lobby and we could be outside and somebody's like, hey, did you hear? Did you hear? I mean, some of us are addicts when it, when it comes to that. Like, did you hear? I want to know everything. Did you hear? And, and I wonder if we have mistaken gossip for something else because it's, it seemed to have a, a, and, and appeared to, to be genuine, right? It's been wrapped in sincerity. And, and you really want to build somebody up and help somebody out. But clearly what you're saying is doing the opposite. So you've got to learn the motivation. You've got to pray that its true nature would be revealed. And just because somebody comes up to you and whispers it, which by the way, we seem to believe anything that's whispered to us. Just because somebody whispers something to us does not mean it is true. Nor does it mean that we have to believe it and run with it. We have to learn to recognize it, but we also have to learn to rebuke it. This is what being a, a part of the body of Christ is. It's, it's I'm gonna be a unifier. You know, when I hear things going on, hey, did you hear so-and-so? Hey, did you know about so-and-so? Hey, did you, I saw a pastor doing this, or I saw the leaders doing that. And you've got to learn to say like, you know, zip it. Matt, you were telling me that day in our small group, right? You were telling, you were trying to tell my child who was crying. You were like, zip, zip. And he says it works for other kids, but it doesn't work for my kid. But that, I mean, that's almost what we need to do. Take the zipper and just zip, zip their lip and, and tell them about the Matthew 18 approach. Hey, if you've got an issue with somebody, go to that somebody. And if they don't want to hear from you, well, you, you bring some leaders. 
And if, and if they don't want to hear from you, bring some leaders of the church. And if even then they don't want to hear from you and restore things, then the scripture says you treat them like the IRS. Sorry if you work in the IRS, but that's what scripture said. It says tax collector. That's kind of, kind of the same thing. But treat them like that. Kick them out of the church. And so there's an approach. There's a healthy approach to this. To say, you know what? I've got to do this the right way, and you've got to do this the right way. And so I'm not going to hear any of this. Go talk to that person. If you've got an issue with so-and-so, go to so-and-so. Don't be coming to me just because you think I'm going to listen. I've always listened, but today I'm going to and I don't want it anymore, and I'm going to rebuke it. So gossip is key. Um, here's a second one. It's unforgiveness. Now, I know I realize we could preach entire messages just on these two words, and so we're just scratching the surface of them. But, you know, the Matthew 18 approach certainly has to do with gossip, but it, it definitely has to do with somebody sinning against you. And if somebody sins against you, you go to them and you seek restoration. If, if you hurt somebody, you go to them and you say, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm the sorry guy in my house. I'm always the one that's like, you know, what? I made a mistake. Forgive me, Cheryl. But Peter asks a question in Matthew 18 that I think many of us are asking as well. Okay, God, you told us to forgive somebody. But how many times... Do I have to forgive? This is what it says in verse 21. How many times do I have to forgive my brother or my sister when they sin against me? And Peter, who, who thinks he knows a little bit, he says up to seven times. Now, why does he say seven? Well, because by the rabbis, the recommendation was three. And so Peter says, I'll double it and I'll add one. Seven times, God. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, let me give you an answer. What does he say? I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, it's important for us to know that this parable is, isn't talking about, Jesus isn't talking about people um, dealing with things with non-believers. He's not saying, you've got to forgive your lost brother 77 times. You've got to forgive that person who doesn't know Christ. He's talking about believer to believer, Christian to Christian, which is important for us to hear because how many of you, like me, I'm a little bit more lenient and forgiving to those who don't know Christ. And I justify their actions for them. And I say, well, well, they don't know because they don't know Christ. But when it comes to the believers in the church, I'm like, come on, God, get them. Lock them up. Come on, I know that pastor doing something. I just, I'm just waiting for that report to come out on the news that there was moral failure. I'm just, I'm just waiting. Or I want them out of my church. I know they don't like me. And I don't like them. God, I'm just waiting for you to kick them out. And oh, you know, I'll, I'll worship on Sundays, but I'm calling the pastor on Monday and I'm going to. I'm going to share some things with him. Did you know? Did you hear? And you have not walked in forgiveness, therefore you have not walked in unity. Why is it so hard for us to forgive people in church? Why is it so hard for us to look at believers and, and say, listen, I, I, I get it. I, mean, I, I, make, I make mistakes all the time, and I need forgiveness. And so I'm going to learn to forgive. Pastor, how, how many times do we forgive that person? How many times? 490 times. But how can you even keep an account of that much offenses? That's the point. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. I don't know what kind of list you've got going on of all the accusations against you, but it's time to rip up that list. All the things that you've been holding against your spouse and you're waiting for that counseling session. Well, you can't wait to tell that therapist or that counselor all that your wife has done or all that your husband has done. But love keeps no record of wrongs. What would it look like if they said, what did she do? And you said, man, I don't know because I don't keep any record of wrongs. 
God has forgiven her like he has forgiven me, so I don't know. There cannot be unity in the body of Christ if there is unforgiveness. Who have you not forgiven today that you need to forgive? Before you lay your head on that pillow at night, who do you need to call? Who do you need to text? Because you're just making up poison that you're drinking yourself. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Gossip and unforgiveness has got to go. It's not welcome in this church. It's not welcome in this church. And I need you to help me, members of it, to kick that out. Not them out, but the gossip out and the unforgiveness out. Help me. Would you help us? Would you help us be unified? Thirdly, how can we walk in this? So we know what it is, and we actually know what the purpose is. God's called us to be an example. He said it in John chapter 17. He said, he said the world will know by how, you, by how you do this, by how you are unified. So how can we walk in this? And I'm going to take you to Colossians chapter 3. I'll give you time to flip there. Colossians chapter 3. There's a lot of confusion going on with the, the Gentile believers in Colossians or in the city of Colossae because there's this Jewish indoctrinating that's taking place again. It's like, man, I was, I was freed from those things and because I had no hope and then Christ saved me and gave me those freedoms, but now I have to step, I have to learn all these things and, and, and Paul's like clarifying. He's like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. I, I, know, I know they consider themselves to be the only chosen people, but he says this in verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people as well, you're, you're also God's chosen people. He says, you're holy and you're dearly loved. You clo- clothe yourself, and here it is, Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. What were those five things again? Compassion. I get that one. I'm compassionate towards my, my, you know, my dog or animals. Kindness. I'm kind to the elderly. Humility. Uh, yeah, that's a no for me. Uh, gentleness. Yeah, I'm a man. And patience. Yeah, that's impossible. So maybe the first two we understand somewhat, but the next three it's like, Lord, we need some help. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And in verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on what? Love. If you got your Bibles, what does it say? In verse 14, put on what? Love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Somebody say, put on love. Put on love. I'm going to clothe myself a little bit differently. Because I've understand, I understood the, the, the freedom that I have found in Christ. That's what Paul's saying to the Gentiles. He's like, you have this freedom. You don't have to do anything else to gain it. But when you do step in it, you look differently, you dress differently, the well inside of you is different because you're, there's so much peace in there. But then he says your motivation is different as well. And so um, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In fact, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, right before he says make every effort to keep the unity, he says this. It's almost the same thing. He says this to the church of Ephesus in verse 2 of chapter 4. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. I wonder what it would look like for a church if we, were com- if we completely humbled ourselves, completely. If we threw out any pride, any arrogance, I wonder what it would look like if we never left because of the non-essential differences. Imagine, 
what God could do. Imagine what he could do through a church that said, you know what? We will be unified. I wonder if we weren't known for our great facility or our great kids ministry or our great worship or message, but we were known for the kind of humility we displayed as a church. I wonder if we would be known, VLC, as a church that was so kind to anybody that walked in these doors. No matter what they look like, no matter what their beliefs were, no matter what the color of their skin was, no matter, no matter how they talked or how they smelled, I wonder if we would be known as a place where kindness radiates from the stage to the front doors. And as people walk in, all of a sudden they feel this overwhelming calmness that something different is, about, is, is, is here in this room and I can't explain it. And by the way, this happens all the time. We hear people walking in these doors and they leave and they said, and I didn't have to get to the doors to feel it. I felt it when I pulled in in the entrance. I felt it when I saw that sign that said, you are loved. I felt it, I felt it when I walked in and I saw somebody smiling at me. I just wonder if we unified ourselves in such a way that we, um, we walked in not only humility, but kindness. And I wonder what would change. Because that, that's, that's the purpose, right? It's to bring people to their knees. He said it in verse 23 of John 17. He says, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know. What will the world know? The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as, I, as you have loved me. That's it, church, right there. We're all members of this body. We are functioning members. We are laying down our preferences. We are laying down the things that we want and we desire. Not for our sake, but for the sake of the gospel. And when one member suffers, we all suffer. And what affects one person affects us all. And so we've got to make sure that we put on love, which, by the way, keeps no record of wrongs, that we walk in compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness, that we learn how to forgive people, we learn not to gossip, and we walk in such a way that God is glorified because his people are unified. I want to read a page out of this book called I Am a Church Member. And uh, by the way, in a few weeks, my dad and I are going to do something uh, unique. We've been talking about something called Growth Track here. And it's just a simple process for you to know who we are, know what we believe, and we're going to help you discover some of your giftings. Because some of you think, like, man, I can't sing, so I can't do anything. And I'm like, that's like one of the things that you can do for the glory of God. There are many things that you can do. And don't think it has to be here, by the way. And so we want to help you discover those giftings. But one of those things is we're going to give you this little book. It's called I Am a Church Member by a guy by the name of Tom Rayner. And the chapters are really short. And after each chapter, there's this pledge. And our whole, our whole staff went through it. And we had a sign and date, you know, scratch and sniff and, you know, draw some blood. And uh, well, not all of us did that. Is I the only one that did that? Um, this is the pledge that, that, that we're making as a body who says, you know what, I will be unified for this purpose. I'll be unified. And it's not easy, by the way, because the people sitting next to you are pretty strange. And uh, the people you're married to can be hard and challenging at times. So it's like, I'm working on being unified with my family and my kids. Now I gotta be unified with a bunch of people I don't know. 
Um, you better, because you're going to be living with him for the rest of your life in heaven. So learn to be unified. And so this is the pledge right here. This is the second pledge of this book. It says, I am a church member. And if you can, I just want you to close your eyes and listen to this. And maybe, maybe this is a pledge you'll, you'll make today, just kind of in your heart. Maybe you need to put something on paper. Maybe, maybe you need to put something in your phone. But this is what it says. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know that there are no perfect pastors, staff, or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. Man, I'd love to be a place where repentance is happening, not just on a Sunday, but every day. I'd love to be a place that's so, so attractional, not because of what we have or what we can put on, that doesn't matter, but because God is here and God is moving. And, and if people could see a church unified, I would just, Kelly, where are you at? Kelly, you and I were talking. And Kelly, you said, man, I just have burnt, been burned by church because every church that I've been to has been hypocritical. They say one thing on Sundays, they raise their hands, but then on Monday, on Tuesday, they want nothing to do with Jesus. And it's easy by how they talk and how they live. And so what if VLC was around all those years ago and Kelly showed up and she experienced a unity that she, that she didn't understand? She said, why? You guys are all different. You look different. You're from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Why are you all the same? Well, we would stop you, Kelly, and say, we are not the same in persons, but we are the same in purpose. Can you get behind that? You know, you've probably been reading the headlines on the news about all this snow going on everywhere else except South Florida. And uh, I read two headlines that said, um, snow turns interstates into a parking lot. And the other one was, snow creates highway to nowhere. And I'm like, man, that's gonna be disastrous. I like snow though, snow is cool. And you know, if you look at a snowflake, they may be cool in design and they may be great, but they're, they're frail alone. But if you put them together and stick them together, not only can they shut a highway down, but they can shut an entire city down. And so I just wonder if the church came together, church. I wonder if we all came together and stuck together. Imagine not only what we could do for the kingdom of God, but imagine what we could do for the damage and the darkness. Imagine how we can stop the devil in his tracks if we came together. Come on, if you want to be unified, would you stand to your feet all across this room? If you're saying, hey, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm a unifier. Man, imagine what we could do for the kingdom of God. Imagine what we can do for the kingdom of darkness too. We can stop them. We can destroy all their plans and all their efforts because we are so unified. And God is moving in, in, in so many ways because we're all not in, not the same in, in person, but we're the same in purpose. And so let me pray for you, Father, all across this room. God, as we just take a few moments to worship before we leave these, these doors, before we leave this building, God, I pray everybody in this room would just take a moment when they search their heart. 
And when they ask the question, God, is there anything in me right now that I've got to fix? Is there anything that I need to confess? Is there anything that I need to do? In fact, I'm going to invite some of our prayer partners to come up even, even now in this, at this moment. I know You know who you are. If you're a prayer partner, would you kind of make your way up to the front? And we want to pray for you if that's you. And you're saying, I, I have some things that I know I need to confess right now. I've got unforgiveness. I'm all about gossip. And I want to lay them at the feet of God. And so as we lead, as we sing, I want to invite you just to search your heart. If you need to come forward, you can come forward. I'll come back up and I'll dismiss and give us some instructions. But can we just take a few moments? Can we stretch out our hands? And can we say, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. But my heart should be a, should be a melody. There should be harmony in what we do and what we say. And if that's not the case, would you search me, Father? Help Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation.